Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You and Betty and the Nancys and Bills and Joes and Janes will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. Hey, welcome to Inquiring Minds. I'm Indre Viscontis. This is a podcast that explores the space where science and society collide. We want to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it matters. For the last couple of years, I've been on the science advisory board for the Sloan Fellowship at the San Francisco Film Festival. The goal of that program is to help people tell great stories on film about scientists or featuring science in some way. And so it's really important to pair the filmmakers with someone who both understands the science and also can participate in informed storytelling. Well, one of the projects was featuring or was about Nikola Tesla. And I couldn't help but think of my friend Jim Shuck, who at the time was a physicist at the Lawrence Berkeley Labs, also in California. And so I thought that maybe he could serve as a science advisor for this film. Well, he did. And since then, he's moved to Columbia, where he's an associate professor of mechanical engineering. And the film is out now. Joining me today is Adam Bristol. Welcome back, Adam. Hi, Andre. And um, Adam is the person who actually introduced me to Jim to begin with. So how did you meet Jim? Well, Jim and I go back to graduate school together. We were in different departments, but we became very close. And coincidentally, we went to the same institution for our postdoctoral fellowships, again, though, in different, uh, different departments. And we've stayed close ever since. So you actually saw the film before I had a chance to. What did you think of it? I thought it was terrific. I mean, you, it was a, it's not a documentary. It's a drama. It's a biopic. Of, of Nikola Tesla, and really a um, contemporary look from 2020 back at this really extraordinary historical figure, someone who's had almost an icon status now, but someone who made some very important contributions to understanding of electricity, electromagnetism, and dabbled in many different areas as well that have really shaped the contemporary life we live in today. And I think that the movie is very much of a time in that, I don't want to give away too much, but there are some modern day cultural references that are sprinkled about, but again, to illuminate some of the ideas that Tesla perhaps thought about, but set, definitely served as uh, an antecedent for uh, some of these technological ideas. 
And of course, with Elon Musk's company, uh, the whole name Tesla now has very different associations. Although it is interesting that, at least in my mind, Tesla was this character that maybe wasn't always, uh, well, maybe we could say he was a little bit unhinged at times. At least that's the kind of folk wisdom of, of uh, what he was like compared to Thomas Edison, who, you know, was like, coined phrases about how you just have to keep trying and, and you know, working really hard and, and that it's just about diligence. Uh, Tesla seems like a figure that's a little bit more kind of mythical and more of what we think of today as the kind of mad creative genius. I mean, he was an outsider. And that's one of the themes that comes up and runs through the movie is his outsider status. He was an immigrant to the United States. That was kind of made clear to him, uh, his uh, outsider status. Uh, in their caricature, in their uh, characterization of Edison. But also he was outside of academia and he wasn't part of the major, at that time, intellectual societies that was interested, that were interested in electricity and, and other you know, physical phenomena. So here's the conversation between Adam and Jim about Tesla, the man, and the movie. Jim Shuck, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Thank you for having me. Okay, we're going to start at the very beginning. Who was Nikola Tesla? So Nikola Tesla was a very interesting man. He's a, you know, I think Serbian-American, you know, born in, in Serbia or what is now Croatia. Uh, and he was an electrical engineer, physicist, mechanical engineer. And I'd say he's probably most well known for um, his development of, of alternating current, sort of power supply and and sort of contributions to, to the instrumentation, the ideas of in that field. It's amazing when you go on his Wikipedia page to see this long list of innovations, inventions, ideas. He was really just a, a, a you know, a, a very, it seems like a very intellectually creative and curious person. And so today we're going to talk about this new film. There's a new film, a biopic starring Ethan Hawke, and you served as one of the scientific consultants on the film. Maybe talk briefly before we get into the into the scientific aspects of the movie. Maybe talk a little bit about your role and what it was like to work on a Hollywood film. Sure. Well, I have to say it was, you know, being a fan of Hollywood films but never a person involved in one. It was it was pretty cool. <laughs> um so, you know, somehow I was able to, you know, get in touch with Michael Almereida, the uh, director who who was looking for someone who who, you know, has done research on electromagnetic radiation, which happens to be what, you know, what my lab specializes in. And so from then on, it, you know, I, I got to look over, you know, Michael was, was you know, very warm, really welcoming, and, and just want, you know, first wanted, wanted me to look at the, over the scientific content, sent me the script. And I, you know, I thought I kind of knew what Tesla had done, right, from my physics classes, and had not appreciated his, really his life at all. So that was already part of the fun. I mean, I, th I thought I knew, but I hadn't really appreciated it until reading through the script. Part of the, uh, so, you know, going through that, it was great to, it was great to read through, to take some notes. And I would uh, have a conversation with Michael and he was, that, that was interesting in and of itself because he, A, wanted to know, of course, about, you know, the science and is it correct and how could we best, you know, convey some of the, the you know, how, how sort of magical some of it might've seemed, but also just how that kind of, you know, fit into a larger context of, of this, this person or this multidimensional person. And so it was, so our conversation sort of spun off from there and, and ultimately went over a couple, a couple versions of the, of the, uh, the script. And um, I have to, you know, I have to give Michael a lot of credit. He, 
you know, the, the science was great. I think he, he, he had done a lot of, a lot of research for, uh, on, on Tesla and the story he's been working on this movie for many, many years, many decades, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and a lot of the, the scientific content was from, from first sources. So it was, it was actually even enjoyable for me to, who would, you know, I, from reading, you know, older textbooks and things like this, I was familiar with some of the language, but to see some of the scientific language of that time period, you know, come through firsthand was, was, was pretty exciting. You could kind of, you could see in a sense, the state of sort of what was most well-known, you know, what was known scientifically in the area, what was kind of already accepted and what was still new and right. Electromagnetism was still kind of, it was new, it was in a frontier area back then. And so they were often using language, language to describe it based on, on concepts they were more familiar with. Right. So they talked about pressure when talking about, you know, electricity, because people were used to, to flowing fluids, right. But not, not as much to electromagnetism. And they still, you know, talk about currents, right. Let's explore that a little bit more. So the movie takes place largely in the 1880s and 1890s, at least the first half or so. So what were the major trends or questions in engineering and physics worlds during that time? You know, it's a great question. The, uh, so that was, well, okay, I was about to say that was a really exciting time. Of course, I'm biased. I think all times are exciting for science. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a noteworthy time in that that was really right around when, I mean, Thomas Edison invented his light bulb. There were light bulbs that existed before his, right? But they were, Thomas Edison invented his light bulb. And I want to say his patent was like 1880, 1879, 1880. And then electromagnetic radiation was sort of proved to exist in the mid-1880s. People were just discovering x-rays then around that time, a little bit later. So those are really kind of the, the, the frontier areas. Yeah, and I think Tesla seemed to have his, his hand in many of those different areas at certain points of his career. But within 20 minutes of the movie, the viewer is right in the middle of the alternating current versus direct current debate. So just tell us a little bit more about that. That is a very famous intellectual, uh, uh, I guess, contest, if you will. It was, absolutely. And, you know, made so by, you know, because a couple of the characters, you know, Tesla and Edison in real life were, were great showmen themselves. So I think it, it did make for good real life drama. So the idea, you know, the, the, the idea here is, you know, people were discovering that you, you wanted to have electricity, you wanted to have power to power up sort of what was, you know, the world was being electrified, right? So... People wanted to, you know, people were starting to put electric street lights up, trying to light their homes with electric lights. This was all happening during just during that time. Uh, and so you needed to generate the power to do that. And not only did you need to generate the power, but then you needed to transmit it, right? You weren't, you know, most people weren't going to have a power generating system in their home. And so the idea was, what was, you know, the, the debate was about a, lot, a number of things, but probably the most important one was what was most efficient and safe for transmitting, what type of power is most efficient, say, for transmitting uh, to people, you know, over distances? And the issue is that, um, so you can have direct current, which is where you simply apply, you know, there's one voltage at the starting point and a smaller voltage at the at the end point, and and so current flows from from the high voltage down to uh, to the lower voltage, uh, and that voltage is held constant. So current flows in one direction is flows in one direction all the time. So that's direct current. Alternating current is where actually the, the, uh, the current inside the wire constantly fluctuates back and forth. And that's because the voltages are oscillating back and forth, going from high to low and low to high on the two ends of the circuit. Uh, for you know, direct current, in some senses, is more intuitive, right? You just simply turn up the voltage and more current runs through your wire. 
the issue, though, is that as you have more current moving through a wire, right, current is actually, you know, the moving of real massive particles, electrons. As you have more of them moving through a confined space, you lose more energy, too. You create heat. Uh, with alternating current, it turns out that sort of there's a, there's a physics equation that tells you that the power uh, transmitted is proportional to both the current that's running through a wire, but also the voltage uh, or the potential that's dropped across the wire. And so in alternating current, you could have that voltage be really high and a current be low and still transmit the same amount of power. And when you have lower current, you have lower losses. Is that is that the theoretical origins of Tesla's ideas? I mean, because it's so non-intuitive, it seems almost incredible that somebody would come to the idea of having two alternating currents to achieve the same goal. <laughs> well, that was, you know, so that was the original, you know, an idea for how to transmit power further. Then I think his ideas came more from how do you generate that power and how do you make use of it? So, you know, people actually were already using, in, for example, in Europe, alternating currents to light up their arc lamps. So arc lamps need high voltages. Um, they don't need large currents. And so alternating current, it turns out to be quite useful for making these, these high voltages using another device that people may have kind of heard of, uh, the transformer. But so where he came, you know, what sort of his first main, I guess, contribution was creating a, a sort of efficient way based on using multiple alternating or multiple phases of an alternating current to power a, an, an AC motor. Or if you invert that, if you uh, have a, you know, you take a motor and, and run it in, through, a, um, through a generator, an alternate, you can make an alternating current generator or dynamo that uh, you know, somewhat efficiently generates electricity, but does so without some of the problems associated with DC uh, current generators. Namely that they had these, these electrical contacts within the, a DC generator called commutators. They're basically electrical wire brushes. And as you might guess, since you actually have wire brushes making contact with, with moving parts, those would tend to wear out. Tesla had this really innovative concept that by making use of just the uh, fields associated with these alternating currents, you could create a, either a motor or a generator that did not use these commutators. You did not need anything in direct physical contact with each other, and uh, it would last a lot longer. And then also would work with this type of electricity, right? This, this you know, the AC currents um, or AC, yeah, AC voltages, alternating currents <laughs> that um, that could be transmitted, you know, much over much further distances efficiently. I mean, this is this is great because, you know, the movie touches on all the things you just described. No question. In some places, quite explicitly. So we learn about dynamos, we hear about commutators, we hear about the lack of sparks and how wonderful this is, but you're not given a real, you know, kind of cohesive description. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I just, it's thrilled to have here a, a professor of mechanical engineering to really help us appreciate some of the real innovations of that time. And it was, uh, it was quite extraordinary. And some of the, you were mentioning before we uh, started recording that there were some of the real scale models or in fact reproductions of some of those uh, older uh, instruments uh, were created for the movie. Yes. Yes. And one of my favorites is actually the, a, um, a little demonstration is called the egg of Columbus. I should, I don't know why it's the egg of Columbus. I'm sure there are good explanations for it probably on Wikipedia, but what it, what it was showing is that if you could create this rotating magnetic field by using an alternating current and basically feeding alternating currents into 
into electrical leads at different different uh, so-called phases of their waves that by making this rotating uh, this well basically this this rotating magnetic field would then cause a uh, a metal I think it was a copper uh, egg-shaped uh, item to start st to spin following that field and they could spin it so fast that it would stand up and so anyway, that was a neat little demonstration, but very effective in showing that you were creating a rotating electromagnetic field. Yeah, and I don't want to have any spoilers here, but uh, if you if you tuck that explanation away in your back pocket, that may come up again in the film. But okay, Jim, you've got to explain this to me. There is a scene in the movie that is kind of panned over it multiple times, but again, never explicitly described, in which Tesla's giving a demonstration. He's holding two long rods one in each hand, and he's standing in between two vertical sheets of metal that seem to be held up by his assistant. And then suddenly, as if by magic, the rods glow a brilliant luminescent white. So what was Tesla demonstrating there? Oh, isn't it? That is, again, that is just so, right? You see that and you can't help but be mesmerized, right? Even now, right? Even today when we, we, we actually have these types of bulbs in all of our office buildings, right? <laughs> um, you know, so they, you had these big metal plates. They were actually large rubber sheets coated with tinfoil. That's what they were. I mean, in his real demonstrations. And I really like those demonstrations for a number of reasons, including the fact that uh, some of the first ones were done uh, through lecture, uh, lecture set up by Columbia University. So, anyway. Uh, oh, no kidding. Um, but what's happening there is, is, you know, Tesla had, he was constantly trying to develop new devices that could make higher and higher frequency alternating currents. Um, part of the reason for that is, as I mentioned, uh, the you know power generated is is proportional to both you know the current, but also voltage. So if you had higher voltages, you could, in principle, transmit higher and higher powers. So he was trying to create, figure out ways to create higher and higher voltages. He um, he actually created a, a wonderful device that's named after him, the Tesla coil, that uh, that that allows one to do such things. And so what he was doing is running these sort of high frequency using his Tesla coils connected to these two sort of large, you know, right, metal plates or tinfoil, <laughs> rubber coated tinfoil plates, he would have these large AC currents flowing into them. And this would create electromagnetic ra radiation, radio waves that we're all very familiar with now, but people weren't particularly familiar with in the 1880s and 1890s. And these radio waves were then, you know, coursing back and forth across the stage and in the auditorium. And all he had to do then was hold up, I believe it was holding up probably Geissler tubes. These are essentially just the, the precursors to our neon, you know, neon lights and fluorescent light bulbs. And on either side of these glass tubes were just electrical leads. And the radio waves then would apply a voltage across those, those two metallic uh, leads at the ends of the tubes. And that large voltage would actually ionize the gas in the tube. And then, the ga and then the, those ionized atoms would glow just like a neon bulb or a fluorescent bulb. And there's no wires connected, right? So that's that's different than with a fluorescent. There's no wires, and the light is actually quite bright. The light was very bright, which I guess if your experience had been only with a an Edison bulb of DC variety, this would have probably been much more brilliant and a brighter light than you'd ever experienced before. You know, I would think so. Definitely, certainly a different color, right? I mean, that white glow was different than the sort of this thermal glow coming from an incandescent bulb, like you're saying. Absolutely. Um, you know, my understanding too was that in some demonstrations he would even light up an incandescent bulb, but I haven't seen those. 
I'd be curious. I would like to see that comparison. That's a that's a good point. I guess you're right. I guess it's the kind of the, I guess the quality of the light, not necessarily the intensity, because he could simply turn up. You could turn up the current and, and probably generate something really blindingly bright as well. So that's not necessarily the luminosity itself, but I guess, yeah, the color based on the ionization. That's right. But, but it might burn out before that, right? Yeah. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. So taking this sort of wireless transmission of energy... You know, taking that thread, and so at one point in the movie, Tesla moves to Colorado. So he leaves leaves New York and kind of the New Jersey, New York area. What was Tesla hoping to achieve during his time there in, in Colorado? So he was, yeah, that was a, the, oh, you know, some of the images for, right from that from that move. Actually, there's some of the few images that actually exist of Tesla. Right, that's actually a point sort of made made early on in the movie that that really he's he's sort of a mysterious figure. There's little known about him. Um, but he wanted to move, you know, so Tesla became after, you know, starting work with these alternating currents and then getting into to radio waves and powering light bulbs. You know, it was clear that if you're powering light bulbs, you know, without any wires, maybe this could be more useful for sending power and, you know, ultimately communicate, you know, communication and power over even longer distances, right? More than just between two leads in an auditorium. Uh, and so the, he, uh, he, and, he, and, he and many others, right, in the scientific community at the time thought that uh, that electric you could send these radio waves that they could conduct better at lower uh, when the air was at lower pressure and so I think he wanted to well, a study sort of how you know the electrical conducting properties of lower pressure air so that's why I wanted to go to high altitude uh, and sort of and everything that was involved and of course ultimately I think he did want to 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 show that he could he could you know, uh, transmit power over longer distances and maybe even communication signals as well. Um, you know, sort of precursors to radio waves, which ultimately, you know, uh, Marconi got somewhat famous for, and maybe he should have, Tesla should have gotten more famous for had, had, had certain things turned down differently. But, you know, he was, so 
you know, one, one nice thing about his move to Colorado Springs was that, you know, he was at higher altitude, but he could also make much larger versions of his Tesla coils than he could make in his New York City laboratory space, right? So that was one thing he was doing and making, you know, artificial uh, lightning and thunder <laughs> using these really large, you know, extremely then high voltage um, coils that were based on his sort of previous uh, inventions. There's a tantalizing part to the movie, too, where the narrator describes in broad strokes his move to Colorado and his projects there, but says that I, it was something to the effect of they haven't fully been replicated or fully understood. And that was obviously a very provocative statement, and it made me wonder whether they truly were so groundbreaking that we're still trying to understand in in sort of the fulsome view of his thinking, but also maybe, you know, he wasn't an academic, you know, he wasn't trying to, obviously he probably kept a lab notebook and was interested in, in, in documenting his progress, but he was probably tinkering. He probably didn't fully explicate everything he did. And it was also a different time in science too. But I wonder if you could talk about what, do we know what he accomplished during the time in Colorado? What he, what he achieved or what he failed to do? You know, that's a great, uh, it's a really great question, a great observation, because I think that it, I mean, I, I believe it's it's completely true that there are still observations, you know, exciting observations that he made, right? That, I mean, in, he had an instrument that, you know, no one had been able, had made, no one had made before. And, and really to this day, no one's, no one's, no one's made a version of that. And so he was observing all sorts of electromagnetic phenomena, right? A lot that had to do with noise associated with lightning strikes. So he was studying atmospheric phenomena and also collecting other signals that again, he, he didn't understand. I'm not sure that we, again, as you know, was said in the movie, we fully understand, but I do think that there was probably a fair amount that he learned about um, electromagnetic radiation occurring, you know, with, within the, within the atmosphere about how, how radio waves can transmit. You know, one thing that we understand very well now is, is that how radio waves sort of bounce around the earth and how that's, how that, uh, is based on a, a, um, a layer of the atmosphere called the ionosphere. Uh, they didn't know about that then. And so he was probably, he was beginning to, to detect effects that were related to sort of far off radio wave signals, now still making it to his, you know, essentially his, his apparatus, which was a bunch of coils and some and long wires were, was like a giant antenna. In fact, I think there's pictures of his, of his apparatus that is a giant antenna sticking into the sky as you know it's a, a giant lightning rod but could function as a nice beautiful radio wave antenna do you think that accounted for some of his views of you know picking up signals and potential martians and and extraterrestrial life that's right so that was exactly so he was he absolutely was con he was collecting signals that he didn't at the time you know there was electric signals collected with that antenna you got it and you know he said he may i think he said he may have been collecting, you know, signals that could be coming from other planets. I think the press seemed to run with that a little bit, right, and say that he was talking to Martians. <laughs> um, and, you know, and it's not that, you know, he didn't necessarily play it down, I think. Um, you know, he said, he certainly, again, said it's possible that he is here, you know, is, is receiving signals from other places. How could one know, right? And he very well could have been right. Uh, but I believe that it was his, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was in, when his Colorado Springs uh, system that I think maybe started hearing, it was potentially hearing some of Marconi's first signals from his his work over in, in Europe. Now that my, I couldn't remember if that was, that was in Colorado Springs or if that was his Wardenclyffe. 
That was on Long Island, I believe. That's right. I want to say that it might have been his Colorado Springs where he first heard, you know, the, the SOS or the three S's, I guess, dot, dot, dot. That is fascinating. So in, in, in scientific circles today, what is Tesla sort of best known for? Like what, what was his true contribution to, you know, the, I guess, the, the, the academic and scientific disciplines of physics and engineering? Obviously, his, he's become sort of a pop icon, but what do you as a practicing physicist and engineer kind of attribute to, you know, any adva major advancements attribute to Tesla? He, um, you know, it's funny because I think at first, you know, most physicists, uh, you know, hear about them because of the unit that's named after him, the uh, the strength, right? The unit of a, of magnetic field, the Tesla, right, is, is was named after him. Um, and so first you kind of are, at least I became familiar with them just by thinking about magnetic fields. And then later on in my sort of, you know, physics training, did I begin to appreciate, oh, his contributions first to alternating current. So definitely the alternating current work, you know, is, is, is still one of the main pieces of work that he's associated with. Uh, but then also, you know, so what I think people learn usually later on is his work with electromagnetic radiation, radio waves in particular, right? He even ended up making a sort of a remote control, radio controlled boat that I think was just a little ahead of its time, right? He, he was even trying to market it to the, to the military for radio controlled, you know, torpedoes, for example, around. But I think, but still, you know, the alternating current in which, which again was making use of the magnetic component to the electromagnetic field is, is, is correct. Of course, nowadays people first think of, of the car company which I, I actually think is a testament to, to again, his sort of inventiveness, but people also, I think scientists appreciate his, his inventive, his inventiveness and uh and the ingenuity and and cleverness that went into a lot of, of of these structures and actually tying back into your previous question i would say that you know something that also came out from you know his colorado spring studies and well and a lot of his labs is was of course this is sort of it was it's sort of a lesson how, how science works right you might you know build an instrument based on one hypothesis or with one goal but you're quickly realizing that having a new capability right with an instrument that's more sensitive or more powerful that you begin to see things you didn't expect. And so that was clear in, in his situation and continues to be clear because I think that's how science works. Yeah, <laughs> right. no, absolutely. And yet the movie, I felt, made it quite clear that Tesla was an outsider. You mentioned the demonstration he put on was perhaps conducted at Columbia University, your institution, but uh, I didn't know that. But, you know, earlier in the film, you know, it's his immigrant status is kind of thrown in his face, you know, by uh, by Edison when he starts to demonstrate some of his extraordinary machines. Um, you know, the uh, some expert they expert that they bring in says, you know, where have you been hiding? You're not part of any of the major, you know, New York societies, uh, intellectual societies. You're not part of the institution. So it seemed like he was a quite an outsider. However, I think that's right, and I think that that builds into right. That's a I think that's a there's two sides to that coin, right? Because he, I think being an outsider gives you a certain stubbornness. Well, I, right, I, mean, I think for him, it led to a certain stubbornness, but also a certain amount of perseverance that's important for, for you know, sign, you know, scientific success, but probably success in many fields. But at the same time, it also maybe makes you a little more reticent to accepting when, when something isn't working and that you should maybe change directions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and I that, think comes that comes through. through in the movie, yeah. Right? Yeah. Any, 
If you look back on his career, are there any major what-ifs, in your opinion? And by that, I mean any particular innovation you wish he'd developed or developed further or a theoretical thread that he wished that he had pulled a little further. You know, it, it, the movie makes clear how, and this is true of Science 2020, you know, everything's very funding dependent. And there are times when, you know, funding fell through for Tesla and he wasn't able to pursue certain ideas. I'm curious if there's any major what ifs in your mind looking back on his career and life. That's a great question. You know, I think it has to be, you know, what if he ultimately received maybe, maybe, you know, you could argue the what would, should have been proper credit for his contribution to radio communications, right? In the end, it was Marconi who, who received a lot of that fanfare. And in, but ultimately, Marconi, as was, I think, noted in the film, right, had to use uh, a number of Tesla's uh, actual patents to develop his device. And also, you know, again, as was, was touched on in the film, I think it's, you know, it, I guess it can maybe never be fully proved, but uh, it's generally believed that Tesla was probably actually detecting, you know, Marconi's signals from coming from all the way across the Atlantic. So it could be argued was the first to actually, you know, do the transatlantic uh, radio, you know, radio frequency detection, or at least be a part of it. But pretty quickly, you know, the, you know, the way that I think history played out is that related to the funding, right, that investors and the scientific community pretty quickly latched on to Marconi's ideas and his technologies and devices for utilizing and applying radio, uh, radio wave communications and had decided that maybe uh, Tesla's contributions were, you know, were, weren't as good or weren't worth uh, investing in. And so that, I think that would have been a huge, I mean, right, that's a big what if for Tesla. His, his later life, I think, would have changed a great deal. So that's that's got to be the main one that that comes up. But there, I'm sure again, he was a tireless inventor, as you mentioned, even on his you know at the end you know in his, in his Wikipedia page, the amount of novel inventions and devices that he demonstrated is is really amazing. And it also shows you that it takes a lot more than just a cool invention to ultimately have an impact. Right? It needs to be you know, to kind of be at the right place at the right time. Well, Jim, thank you very much for being at Inquiring Minds. As I mentioned, he was uh, he's an associate professor of mechanical engineering at Columbia University. He also served as a scientific consultant on the most recent uh, movie, Tesla. And so thank you very much for being at Inquiring Minds. Adam, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. That was super interesting. I wonder what their... You know how your conversation with with Jim has sort of changed, or or not your view of of Tesla and the man, and sort of how he's been popularized. Well, I love you know there there was parts of the movies that, as I mentioned in the interview, are alluded to, but you're, again, this isn't a documentary, so you're not going in depth into the details of what he was trying to achieve, or even what the outcome of those efforts were. And when Jim described some of his what ifs of you know, what could he have accomplished? Not just if he had more money, but if he perhaps knew a little bit more about, say, the ionosphere and how that um, uh, influences uh, long-range, you know, energy transmission. But there are some parts of the movie that we I didn't get a chance to discuss with Jim, you know, kind of the nature of, you know, scientific mentorship. You know, I'm sure that, you know, Tesla's time in Edison's lab was very important, but there's a great quote in the movie that says, that is attributed to Tesla saying that it's something to the effect of, you know, under a very tall oak, you know, nothing grows because of the shade, right? So you can see it is one thing to 
work in the apprenticeship model that science and a lot of other technical areas is uh, are, but uh, you often need to break away from that mentor to truly, you know, thrive. I wonder. I wonder if Jim really would have uh, resonated with that since his mentor recently won the Nobel Prize. Yeah, but he does something very different than what he got the Nobel Prize for, you know. And I guess the 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 other side of the coin is that some of these eminent scientists, these men and women, often their labs pursue many different, you know, projects, threads. They become, you know, often interesting innovation factories, right? Uh, where you have talented students and postdoctoral fellows come to those advisors with ideas for projects, and it becomes a platform for them to sort of do that work. And in, in, in a way, they can really, you know, what those what those main PIs can do is bring resources and to allow them to achieve those things. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting thread. And, you know, a lot of the other aspects of the movie that were interesting, you know, I, I, I don't know the history of Anne Morgan. I don't really know the history of Sarah Bernhardt. Were those things you know, accurate or not? Or were they simply uh, cinematic devices to be able to discuss some of the tensions in uh, Tesla's life? Um, but it was, I thought it was fantastic. People have talked about The Current Wars, which is another film that talks about, at least, you know, as per the title, the AC versus DC um, uh, kind of intellectual contest between Edison and Tesla. I have not seen that. It'll be interesting to watch that now, having just seen the, the, the Tesla movie with Ethan Hawke. And I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was very interesting. It, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of innovative directorial choices about how they chose to tell the story. Some, some may be off-putting to some, being a little bit too edgy, but I thought it was uh, a very, very good film. So that's it for another episode. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe. If you'd like to get an ad-free version of the show, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. I want to especially thank David Noel, Herring Chang, Sean Johnson, Jordan Millar, Kyle Raihala, Michael Galgool, Eric Clark, Yushi Lin, Clark Lindgren, Joelle, Stefan Meyer-Ewald, and Charles Weil. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac. I'm your host, Indre Viscontis, and joining me this week was... Adam Bristol. See you next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.